The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In the peaceful community of Silver Lakes, California, most considered Robert Lamone to be a lucky man, a beautiful wife, the perfect marriage, and two amazing children. That's until a curtain was pulled back, revealing a different reality. Join me now as we delve into a marriage with a misleading calm on the surface, where you'll hear how a couple's taboo lifestyle eventually opened up a gateway to infidelity, secrets, and ultimately, a devastating outcome. In 2005, Sabrina and Robert Lamone moved their young family to the high desert community of Silver Lakes in Hellendale, California. They wanted to be closer to family and fully embrace the outdoor lifestyle. The private community included two man-made lakes and was surrounded by boat docks, sandy beaches, and a golf course. It wasn't long before the Lamont family had acquired a small group of close friends. Robert was an outgoing natural leader who named their group the Wolf Pack, a fun and loud crowd that soon garnered a reputation as weekend partiers on the lake. There was even rumors the group swapped partners. The truth about what was really going on behind the scenes would eventually not only be revealed to the community, but to the entire world. On August 17, 2014, Robert Lamone had just returned to a BNSF railway substation located in Tehachapi, California, where he worked as a first responder. The location wasn't his usual assignment, but he was covering a shift for another co-worker. Robert liked picking up the extra 12-hour shifts because it paid double time. At the end of his shifts, he would call his wife for the long 150-mile drive back home to check in and hear her voice. But that night, Robert never called home, nor had he returned any of Sabrina's calls. Something completely out of character for him. When one of Robert's co-workers, Sean Ware, showed up a little bit before 7 p.m., to relieve him from his shift, he was surprised to see the large utility doors open. As he walked towards the office, he could see Robert's truck, but no Robert, only some broken glass. When he walked around Robert's truck, he suddenly stumbled upon Robert, who was lying on the ground, covered in blood. After calling 911, officers found Sean sitting on the ground outside the facility crying. Through tears, he told police he has two little kids. Robert Lamont had been murdered. Immediately of special interest to detectives was the fact that Robert hadn't been scheduled to work that day. If this wasn't a straightforward robbery, law enforcement needed to determine if it had been Robert or the originally scheduled worker that had been targeted. After searching the crime scene, Robert's cell phone was located in the office, 
showing several missed calls and text messages from his wife, reading, Babe, I'm worried about you. Call me. Leanna wants to say goodnight. Detective Robert Meyer, from the Robbery Homicide Division of the Kern County Sheriff's Office in Bakersfield, had jurisdiction over the crime. It was his inevitable task to contact Robert's wife about Sean's gruesome discovery. When he called Sabrina, he could hear a busy and noisy household in the background. As he feared, she'd already been informed of her husband's death. Sabrina told Detective Meyer earlier that evening, at around 8.30 p.m., two men from the railroad arrived at her home to inform her Robert had died from an injury to his head while at work. For hours, Sabrina and Robert's family believed he'd died in an accident. It wasn't until the early morning hours when Detective Meyer alerted Sabrina to the devastating reality. Robert had actually been shot and murdered. Sabrina confirmed she'd spoken to her husband several times that day. She said she didn't begin to really worry until 7.30 p.m. when she hadn't heard from him. That's when she repeatedly began calling him because her seven-year-old daughter had wanted to say goodnight to him. The following day, Sabrina met with a representative of the railroad to explain Robert's benefits. Since he died on the job, Sabrina fully expected a settlement in the millions range, but the representative explained they couldn't offer compensation until the investigation had been completed. In the meantime, they could offer $15,000 to help cover funeral costs. As well, Robert also held a $300,000 life insurance policy. As law enforcement began investigating, they realized their victim was a seemingly financially secure, happily married man with no enemies, no substance abuse problems, and loved by all. They also discovered that the railroad yard was located in a high crime area known for meth and other drug use. They feared it was a random robbery, which can be the hardest type of murder to solve. Meanwhile, the autopsy report came back, indicating Robert had been shot twice in the chest and neck with a large caliber gun, either a 44 or a 45. He was shot from an upward trajectory with the bullet from the chest wound lodging in his head. At least one of the shots appeared to be at close range, within a few inches. Initially, police believed he may have been shot by someone he trusted enough to be able to get that close. During his wife Sabrina's first official police interview, she told Detective Meyer she'd known Robert her entire life. They met when she was just 18 years old, and they'd been happily married for 14 years. But one of the things Detective Mayer noticed right away was how composed and cheerful the 34-year-old widow appeared to be. She described a wonderful marriage, free of fighting or infidelity. Everyone loved Robert. In fact, the couple were both well-liked amongst their friends and were incredibly social, enjoying drinking and getting wild together. While being interviewed, she made one particular comment the detective found odd about regretting often waking up hungover and wanting to slow down her party lifestyle. She wondered out loud if Robert's murder had been God's way of realigning her priorities. Throughout most of her marriage, Sabrina had been a stay-at-home mom, 
but when their children became school-aged, she began working part-time at a local Costco at a sample booth. She said it fit her outgoing personality perfectly and gave her the ability to socialize while providing her with a little pocket money. After interviewing several of Robert's friends, Detective Meyer confirmed Robert had truly been adored by anyone who knew him and that he and Sabrina were revered as the perfect couple. But after gaining access to Robert's cell phone, Detective Meyer was surprised after discovering several nude photos of other women. A confusing revelation after Sabrina's account of a happy marriage free of infidelity. In an attempt to be delicate about the matter, the detective asked Sabrina if it was possible that Robert had a girlfriend on the side. Surprisingly, Sabrina didn't seem upset that her husband had nude photos of other women and theorized the photos could have been produced during one of their many adult-only river trips where the wolf pack got a little wild. Detective Meyer had now heard Sabrina use the word wild several times and wondered if wild was perhaps a code word for swingers. But Sabrina denied that notion and said Robert's murder was a sign she needed to get her life right with God and focus on being a good mom again. A few weeks into the investigation, Detective Meyer got a call from one of Robert and Sabrina's closest friends, Jason Bernatine. Jason and his wife Kelly had been best friends with Robert and Sabrina and also happened to be members of the Wolf Pack. He called the tip line because both he and his wife suspected Jason's former co-worker of being responsible for Robert's murder. The person he was referring to was a young man named Jonathan Hearn. Jason had first met Jonathan at the Redlands Fire Department, where they both worked in 2010. He described Jonathan as incredibly smart, accomplished, but seemingly sheltered. When Jonathan was just 16 years old, he graduated from his religious homeschool curriculum and immediately began taking community college courses to become a paramedic and a firefighter, an impressive accomplishment. He also knew Jonathan was studying to become an arson investigator. In 2013, Sabrina told Jason she met his former co-worker Jonathan while working at Costco. Jason told her he was a great kid, and a few weeks later, he suddenly began receiving text messages from Jonathan. The messages were strangely formal and always began with a compliment, followed by a request to be included in the Wolf Pack's fun weekends on the lake. But Jason didn't get the feeling Jonathan would fit in with their crowd and responded with empty promises to include him in the future. In March of 2013, Sabrina organized an outing for the Wolf Pack at a local bar where a favorite band was playing, but there was an odd man out, and it was Jonathan. When Jason first saw his former co-worker at the bar, he initially assumed it was just a coincidence. He even had a beer with him, introducing him to the rest of the group. Sabrina also greeted him with a big hug that was captured in a photo that night. In fact, Jonathan appeared in several group photos from that evening, some of which also included Robert. After that night, Jonathan began texting Jason once again, continuing with the same compliments and looking for an invitation to the lake. But Jason still didn't think Jonathan would fit in, 
mostly because of the large age gap between him and the rest of the group, combined with his sheltered religious upbringing. A few months later, Jason was surprised to receive yet another text from Jonathan, this time asking for Robert's phone number. Coincidentally, Robert just happened to be at Jason's home, helping with some drywalling. After Robert got off the phone with Jonathan, Jason asked what the call was about. Robert explained how he'd found some inappropriate text messages between Jonathan and Sabrina and that he'd called to apologize while promising to stop seeing her. But in February, Jason's wife Kelly saw Jonathan and Sabrina interacting at Costco. When she got back to the car where Jason had been waiting, she told him what she'd witnessed. Jason immediately called Jonathan, demanding him to stay away from Costco and Sabrina. Once again, Jonathan apologized and promised he would. But just six months after Robert's murder, Jason and Kelly spotted Jonathan inside their Silver Lakes community while noticing on several occasions other vehicles in Sabrina's driveway late at night. Once a truck and another time a motorcycle. Suspicious of the activity, Kelly took down the license plate numbers. When Jason met with Detective Meyer, he shared his suspicions of Jonathan, and the detective confirmed Jonathan owned both a truck and a motorcycle. He also knew Robert's murderer had left the crime scene on a motorcycle. When the detective pulled Jonathan and Sabrina's phone records, they showed nonstop communication, ending abruptly in April of 2014 four months before the murder. That's when it was discovered Sabrina had begun communicating with Jonathan on a burner phone. During that time, Detective Meyer also confirmed his suspicions that the wolf pack did more than just get a little wild. He was able to finally confirm the group regularly engaged in a swinger lifestyle. It was then Detective Meyer was also able to identify that one of the nude women found on Robert's phone was Jason's wife, Kelly Bernatine. Following up on the info both Jason and Kelly provided, Detective Meyer set up a wiretap on Jonathan's phone, confirming the burner phone was being used by Sabrina from April 2014 through to the present time. In fact, on the day of the murder, they exchanged over 100 text messages and spoke on the phone several times, totaling almost four hours. Detective Meyer soon learned that Sabrina had met 22-year-old Jonathan while she was working at Costco back in December of 2012. He caught her eye because of a fire department t-shirt he was wearing, and she wondered if he knew her friend Jason. That's when he confirmed he'd in fact worked with Jason at the Redlands Fire Station. By their third encounter at Costco, Jonathan asked for Sabrina's phone number, and after exchanging flirty texts and phone calls, Sabrina became worried his interests were romantic, and she confessed she was married. But despite her marital status, they continued communicating. Jonathan, who came from a deeply religious family, thought he could use the opportunity to bring Sabrina closer to God. They even spent time in his car after she got off work, reading the Bible together. Sabrina eventually admitted her shameful feelings over her questionable lifestyle 
and confided she suspected her friend Kelly of having an affair with her husband Robert outside of their consensual get-togethers. In a relatively short time, Sabrina and Jonathan's encounters became sexual. But Sabrina and Jonathan believed their relationship held a higher purpose, a purpose that would eventually guide all of their future decisions. When Jason didn't invite Jonathan to the Wolfpack parties, he and Sabrina planned the casual encounter at the bar in March of 2013. They hoped a night of drinking would lead to Jonathan finally being included in the group, but their plan failed. In fact, Robert had been so upset with Sabrina that night, he felt she behaved inappropriately with Jonathan, especially since Sabrina was only permitted to be intimate with people within their own tight-knit group. When Robert discovered the inappropriate text messages between Jonathan and Sabrina, he smashed her phone in anger. It was that incident that prompted Jonathan to call Jason, asking for Robert's phone number. Jonathan prayed God would take away his desire for Sabrina, but his desire only increased, proving to him that God's purpose was for him to save Sabrina from her sinful lifestyle. Sabrina soon began joking with Jonathan that she hoped a tragic accident would happen to Robert. As they discussed Sabrina getting a divorce, they looked at a piece of land where they could build their dream home together. But Sabrina told Jonathan divorcing Robert would kill him. She insisted Robert would rather die than spend his life away from her and their children. That's when Jonathan began looking for guidance from the Bible and soon identified Psalm 38 and 51 as his guidepost. Both verses reference the story of King David and Bathsheba, where the king fell in love with a married woman and sent her husband to his death in order to have her. It was a story Jonathan knew well from his childhood. His father taught it to him, believing it would teach his son the consequences of lust and redemption by a loving God. Instead, he twisted it to support his actions. During the wiretaps, Jonathan and Sabrina would often talk about how blessed they were by Robert's death because now they could finally be together, always very careful not to ever use the words murder or cover-up. In one call, Sabrina mentioned a friend in law enforcement who told her police had two suspects they'd wiretapped and that they were getting ready to make arrests. Jonathan and Sabrina quickly became concerned that their affair along with Sabrina's former lifestyle would soon be exposed, ruining their reputations. They also feared if their relationship was uncovered, they'd both become suspects in Robert's murder. At one point during the investigation, Detective Meyer left a message for Sabrina, asking her to call him back. That's when he gave her information he thought would get her and Jonathan talking. He told her they'd hit a dead end in the investigation and were going to release security footage to the public showing the murder suspect limping away from the scene of the crime. Sabrina immediately called Jonathan and told him everything was fine. They were both relieved. Law enforcement didn't seem to have any real leads. Meyer couldn't help but wonder why they would care if Robert's murder was solved if they were merely trying to cover up an affair. In order to keep things moving along, the detective gave Sabrina false information about obtaining the suspect's DNA through a sweat sample. 
He told her he expected results shortly and asked her to come in for a second interview. But before going in, she called Jonathan, who sounded panicked. He was convinced Detective Meyer knew about them and had been watching them. He told Sabrina it was legal for law enforcement to lie to her, and they were probably doing that now in order to get her to relax and admit to their secrets. He then insisted Sabrina reschedule the interview while he considered their options. Briefly, they considered going into the police department together, coming clean about their affair so that they could be cleared. But that idea went out the window. Now fully suspecting their conversations were indeed being recorded, Sabrina and Jonathan began playing to their audience. During one wiretap conversation, they curated their conversations. Sabrina said she would have gladly taken care of Robert if he had survived his gunshots and was disabled. They also talked about Robert's flaws and sins. Jonathan believing Robert had made a huge mistake when he opened up his marriage with Sabrina. The two did their best to convince anyone listening they were only guilty of an affair, not a murder. In one call, Jonathan related their situation back to the story of King David and Bathsheba, saying, David is a lot like you and I, Sabrina. He's a regular guy, but he loves God. He was someone who made a lot of big mistakes. He was someone who committed adultery, who had an affair, who even went on to kill a guy, like sent him into battle and pretty much had him killed off. He went way out of his way to cover his sins. Detective Meyer thought this was as close to a confession as he was going to get. During Sabrina's second interview, the detective told her he'd heard rumors about her open marriage, but she denied the rumors to be true. As the secret couple's paranoia grew, Detective Meyer sent Sabrina some photos taken from a gas station surveillance camera just after Robert was murdered. It showed a man wearing a motorcycle helmet, getting gas, and buying a drink from inside the mini-mart. When he asked if she recognized him, he also shared he'd received a tip from someone that a man named John might have killed Robert. But when he asked her if she knew anyone by that name, she gave him false leads, naming two other people named John, one who even had a motorcycle. But no mention of Jonathan Hearn, who also owned a black motorcycle, just like the one in the video. After hanging up with the detective, Sabrina immediately called Jonathan once again, telling him about her conversation. Jonathan was convinced the secret witness tip had come from Kelly Bernatine, Jason's wife. But Sabrina couldn't believe her friend would betray her like that. Jonathan was now convinced he was about to be arrested and that someone was setting him up. So Jonathan instructed Sabrina if she was asked, she needed to convince detectives he had nothing to do with Robert's death. Later that morning, Sabrina and Jonathan were arrested for the murder of Robert Lamone. Right away, Jonathan requested a lawyer and refused to speak. Sabrina, on the other hand, wanted to talk. At first, Following Jonathan's instructions, she insisted he would never have murdered her husband, trying to explain God was the reason Robert had been killed because of his sinful lifestyle. Eventually, law enforcement got tired of hearing her stories and started raising their voices, basically indicating enough was enough. 
There's no reason to tell your boyfriend exactly where your husband is working. Absolutely none. Right down to the building. What's the purpose? There can only be one. Tell me why you would tell him exactly where Rob's at. You can't find that place by accident. We knew somebody told him. When he asked about where your husband is, what do you think he's asking for? Go buy him a milkshake? Say hi. I'm doing your wife. Well, what do you think he's going to do? When did Jonathan tell you to get it? He never told. He never yes, he came did. out. Yes, he did. He, yes, he did. You guys are doing nothing but hiding this thing the whole time. Yes, he did. No. Well, what are you trying to hide? No. I, okay, I know it, it doesn't look good. No. There's a difference between doesn't look good and absolutely is not good. This is absolutely not good. I understand that. Thank you. I understand that. When you told him exactly where Rob was at, and Rob ends up getting killed, did you put two and two together at all? Not at first. I, I, I was in shock. I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe what I heard. I couldn't believe that it happened. I didn't. I didn't know what happened. I didn't know why. So who who had the only motive that you know of to kill your husband? What did Jonathan have to gain if he kills Rob? What surprise? You, correct? And he has you all to himself. That's correct. And he gets killed after you tell him where he's at, and you don't put it put it together. I don't think you're that dumb, Sabrina. I really don't. No one's going to. It's clear. It's my fault for telling Jonathan where Robert was that day. Most certainly is. It is. It is your fault. But it, it, it's it's time to uh, it's time to shit or get off the pot. Robert is dead because of you. Make no mistakes about that. That is something that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life. That is something that your children are going to have to live with for the rest of their lives. I care less about you. I care about your kids. They didn't ask for this. You're a grown woman. You made decisions. Why you would tell a man? I think he's not. A, he's not a man. He's a coward. He, he's he's a scumbag. Why you would tell the guy that you're you're sharing a bed with where your husband works? Beyond me. If you don't have anything for us, I think we need to get you to jail. What I need you to do is I need you to stand up and turn around. Obviously, since you were already brought down here once before, you were told what you're under arrest for, correct? Yes. For conspiracy to commit murder, accessory murder. When Sabrina was told they had concrete evidence that Jonathan had murdered Robert, she offered up a possible motive. Robert's refusal to end their questionable lifestyle had upset Jonathan so much, she suggested he might have been trying to save her from Robert, passing her off to other men. It was her theory that because Jonathan had been raised in a religious home, his strong values led him to dislike Robert. She also admitted Jonathan had bought her the burner phone, so Robert wouldn't find out they were still in contact. Initially, she felt bad about getting involved with a 22-year-old, 11 years younger than her, but wanted detectives to know she wasn't some sort of cougar who seduced him with sex. In fact, according to her, it was Jonathan's pious nature that had seduced her. At the end of her interview, Meyer asked, how long after Robert's murder had she suspected Jonathan? She answered by saying, pretty quick. While never admitting to her own involvement, she suddenly seemed more than willing to implicate Jonathan. Two days later, the prosecutor's office decided to drop charges against Sabrina Lamone. 
In all of the recorded conversations, Sabrina was always very careful never to implicate herself. This incensed Robert's family, as well as the Silver Lakes community. Silver Lakes had turned on her, and she was only too happy to move away with her kids, leaving them and Jonathan Hearn far behind, even beginning a new relationship with an old flame from the past. But Robert's family weren't about to let it go, and felt Sabrina had gotten away with murder. That's when Robert's sister, Chris Wilson, began communicating with Jonathan in prison. She told him Sabrina had moved on with her life. While he was in jail for murder, he never would have committed without her influence. She asked him to clear his conscience and to tell the truth about Sabrina's involvement. After almost two years, he finally agreed. In exchange for his truthful testimony, the prosecution offered him a plea deal that was endorsed by Robert's family. On January 6, 2017, Sabrina Lamont was arrested once again for Robert's murder. During the trial, prosecution told the jury Robert had been killed so Sabrina could replace him with Jonathan. They believed Sabrina had manipulated an inexperienced, highly religious younger man using her sexual prowess to convince him to get rid of Robert so she could start fresh, not to mention the life insurance proceeds and a multi-million dollar settlement from the railroad she aimed to receive. But her defense had a different theory. They believed while Jonathan was indeed younger than Sabrina, he was in fact more intelligent than her, making it possible for him to manipulate her through the use of religion. They portrayed their client as a naive high school dropout who wasn't smart enough to cover up a murder, and Sabrina played right into that persona throughout the trial, often appearing confused when asked direct questions on the stand and taking her time to answer. The defense took things one step further by characterizing Sabrina as a victim of both Robert and Jonathan. Robert's victim because he had forced her into an open marriage and was addicted to sex and Jonathan's because of his controlling nature, using God to justify his heinous actions. The defense also pointed to the fact that Sabrina never once incriminated herself in the wiretaps, not because she was a mastermind, but because she was innocent. The case against Sabrina relied solely on the testimony of Jonathan Hearn, who came off as intelligent, earnest, and contrite to the jury. He told the jury Sabrina was a very entrancing person he couldn't stay away from, no matter how hard he tried. He explained that when Sabrina began sharing intimate details about her life, he began to feel as though Robert had been exploiting his wife and that he didn't deserve to have her. He was pretty exploitative, or at least she expressed to me that he was pretty exploitative and objectifying her and pretty much the emotional entanglement or conflict with that was that here she was married to him but yet he was willing to pretty much pass her off to any other guy and not really leave the the doors of their marriage closed so much to the outside world and so that impropriety was a pretty i would say the most significant one but we did delve into just many many other quirks that she mentioned as far as just that he wasn't very concerned with their marriage that his responses to say, for instance, when he discovered that we were having an affair was not at all to address the health of his marriage, but rather to just kind of avoid those things and go shopping and focus on other things, which 
dovetails into a kind of another complaint was that he was very focused on his own interests and not so much the interests of his family. Sabrina had managed to convince Jonathan Robert was both failing as a husband and father with his selfish behavior and lack of respect for their marriage. It was for those reasons he felt he was able to rationalize murdering him. The more negative the image Jonathan had in his mind of Robert, the easier it was for him to justify him needing to die. She expressed a number of reasons why divorce was not a very appealing option for her, and that was part of what solidified some of our conversations about uh, his actual eventual demise. So there were initial conversations about divorce, but then probably right around the time I, I was referencing earlier where it went from being sort of a joke to becoming now serious, those were all back to back where it was along the lines of this progression where we were thinking about being together and then eventually leading into a, a conversation of his, his death. That's when Jonathan and Sabrina began to discuss possible ways to murder Robert without getting caught. Did you settle on a method to kill Robert initially? Yes, I did. What was the initial method that you decided upon? Poisoning. Okay. Did you have any other methods in mind? Briefly considered some others, yes. And when you came up with these methods, was this by yourself or in conjunction with Miss Lamont? In conjunction with Sabrina. How did these conversations go? I don't remember how uh, the, the conversation was came up, but obviously we were discussing killing him. And I know we briefly discussed, uh, she asked me how, how I thought would be best. And we discussed, I believe, car accident and fire. Finally, Jonathan and Sabrina agreed the best way to murder Robert would be to poison him. Said that you quickly settled upon poison. When you say you, are you speaking about you and Sabrina? Yes, we agreed. And why did you settle on poisoning? You and Sabrina. Just because of the, the thought that poisoning could present as a medical issue and not a criminal issue, which would reduce the likelihood of uh, criminal investigation being waged. And so just because of the likelihood or the hope of escaping being caught, I thought that might be a better option. During the trial, Jonathan explained the lengths he went to in order to obtain arsenic. Describe how you went about purchasing arsenic. I used a prepaid card to put finances on a PayPal account. And then I, I tried to purchase it from a couple places that was unable to purchase it just due to the sensitivity of the, the product uh, and requiring background checks. And But I eventually was able to purchase it under an alias and have it sent to a grandparents' commercial art studio. Just to set the, the scene, you've received the arsenic trioxide. You have it at your home. What do you do next? Uh, examine the product. Also <coughs> tested what I believe to be the toxic loading dose of arsenic, a dose by weight ratio. And so I experimented with that on neighbor dog who had caused me considerable issues in the past and put it on some, some meat and gave it to the dog to see what would happen. When that worked, Sabrina came up with a few options for how they could conceal the poison without Robert realizing until it was too late. Uh, she provides you, you said, food to eat or suggested food items. Uh, which food items did she suggest 
that uh, Robert Lamont was sure to eat? Uh, she gave me two suggestions, one of some sort of sandwich or wrap that uh, could be purchased at Costco, um, and then also banana pudding with Nilla wafers. You made a batch to provide to Robert. Is that correct? That is. Okay. Describe what you did. I made a, a pretty large batch of banana pudding with Nilla wafers, prepared a large Tupperware. It could appear to be like a, a family-sized portion uh, for Sabrina and the rest of her family, something that could be put in the refrigerator to, to obviously not suggest that only one small portion had been made for his lunch that day. But then I also made a separate smaller Tupperware simply with just a single serving size portion for his lunch. And in that, uh, stirred in the arsenic into the pudding. But just when they thought they had everything figured out, Jonathan and Sabrina changed their minds. They decided they'd be better off if Robert died while working on the job. That way, Sabrina would receive a multi-million dollar settlement. And the best way to do it would be to make Robert's death look like a robbery homicide at the railway yard. To avoid any suspicions for Robert's murder, that's when Sabrina stopped communicating using her personal cell phone. In April of 2014, four months before Robert's murder, is when Sabrina switched exclusively to using the burner phone. But on cross-examination, Sabrina said she didn't believe there had been any real kind of plan to kill her husband. She just happened to be in love with both men and insisted she could have never imagined her life without Robert. Did you, based on those conversations, ever begin to have some doubts about whether or not Jonathan was involved in Robert's death? There were times where it felt weird, things he was saying or acting, but I didn't want to believe that that could be possible. The situation where you do this uh, thing where you, if something frightens you or you don't feel comfortable with, you just shut yourself off? Well, what do you do when it's something that you don't feel comfortable with or something that frightens you? What's your typical response? I block it out. I had a lot of responses how I dealt with things back then. I would just not, not really deal with it. Looking back, Sabrina said, she could see how her open marriage had made her so vulnerable to someone like Jonathan. So your husband was seeing other women? Yes, we had opened our marriage and he had sexual relationships with other women. Uh, and that only caused you to feel a little uh, less, not a lot. It didn't affect you that much in your marriage? Looking back, it affected me a lot. But in the moment, it became who we, who we were. It only progressed. We were partying, drinking, living the life, and it just ended up becoming who we were. We were just living it. So let me just set out this time frame. Uh, based on your testimony, your husband's out having sex with other women, uh, you're drinking a lot of booze, and you felt like, this is great, I'm loving this. It wasn't like that. Okay. So it wasn't a very fun time, was it? Yes, it was a very fun time. What about it made it fun for you? We had a good life. We were on the lake all the time. We had a boat. There was always music. There was always drinking. And we'd get wild. It was fun. It's kind of been uh, intimated in this case that uh, Miss Bernatine was having an affair with your husband. 
was she? Yes. Okay. So let's add into the picture then that your best friend at the time was having an affair with your husband. And this is still in your mind a fun time. Uh, it, it, in the end, with her, it wasn't a fun time anymore. But yes, there were fun times for sure. Just trying to understand what's going through your mind. You were okay then with your husband having an affair with your best friend. Yes. You never complained about that at all? I would, minimally, to him. Throughout the trial, Sabrina came across as combative with prosecution, often shaking her head and grimacing, her responses evasive and vague, while she laughed at inappropriate times. It seemed getting a straight answer from Sabrina was close to impossible, with her most common response being that she didn't remember. Despite Sabrina's claim of innocence, on October 25th, 2017, she was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. During Sabrina's sentencing, Robert's sisters, Chris Wilson and Lydia Marrero, gave heart-wrenching descriptions of how they wanted their brother to be remembered and how his murder had affected them. Our brother Robert was one of the kindest humans I will ever know. Truly the guy that would give the shirt off his back if you needed it more than him. That guy that always stopped to help someone along the road. The thumbs up guy with the big smile. The entertainer. The loving son. The caring father. The entertaining uncle. He would cut your grass, fix your drywall. He would service your car and wash it too if it was dirty. He would even man the barbecue, also known as the Robicue. You might even come home to find him working on your boat and getting it ready for the lake. He provided for his family. He loved the railroad and he loved the lake. He was quick to encourage but slow to criticize. Robert put everybody before himself. The bond that ties siblings together will never be broke and our brother's memory will forever live in our hearts. For myself, this murder is its own deeper level of denial and shock. When someone's murdered, the death is sudden, violent, final, and incomprehensible. The event is unbelievable, unexpected, tragic, and a crime all at once. The shock of losing Robert to murder took hold immediately and left family and friends, co-workers, totally bewildered. To take it one step further, it was even more horrific to find out that our brother's wife participated conspiring in the planning and execution of his murder. Nothing in life prepares sorrow or loss with acute feelings of injustice and trust, division and helplessness. Flashbacks to the memory of receiving the dreaded call from the Cordobas of my brother's death can continue to replay in my mind still even today. The memory of the crime itself embeds a rage of, at the conspirator, Sabrina Lamont, and the assailant, Jonathan Hearn. Hearn testified that he prayed before he took our brother's life. Then again, after asking for forgiveness and for avoiding arrest, all on a Sunday, a holy day of obligation, God doesn't work that way. The parable in the Gospel of Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, points consequences of the choices we make and the kind of life we choose to follow. God does have plan. God does have a plan, only it's not for the reasons the two of you prayed for. I believe God gave Sabrina a choice. Build a friendship or choose to deceit by concealing an affair 
that resulted in the murder of our brother. Sabrina had all the power to make the final decisions to do what was right. Instead, she made the decisions that brought overwhelming destruction, division, brokenness to the two most affected by her actions, her brother's children, Robbie and Leanna. This includes the Lamont family, the Wilson family, the Sandala family, the Cordova family, the Hearn family, and all the family and friends affected by her thoughtless actions. It's easy to think that only other people get divorced, that your own marriage is somehow immune to heartache, infidelity, and fights over who gets the house, the car, or the children. God created marriage as a loyal partnership between one man and one woman. In this world, broken things are despised and thrown out. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate and love one another, or you will devote to one another and despise the other. You're not able to serve both God and money. Do you truly believe that you had the best of both worlds, living in a marriage of deceit by your own unfaithfulness because you couldn't be honest with Robert about your feelings, that you were secretly having an affair? Marriage works best when both partners are willing to make a sacrifice and commitment. Sabrina didn't have the desire to make sacrifices and commitments to save her marriage. She chose a path of destruction and selflessness engaging in extramarital relationships that ultimately ended my brother's life. I can find peace of mind knowing the truth that Jonathan has brought forth. I said forth, I said before, if you're going to conspire with someone, abate with someone, or bring harm or murder someone, that you should have to be accountable for your actions. No time either Sabrina or Jonathan serve in prison will ever bring my brother back. Jonathan was also officially sentenced for his role in Robert's murder a month later. During his sentencing, Robert's sister testified and offered her forgiveness to Jonathan Hearn. There's been tears of sadness, tears of pain, tears of anger, followed by a bitter sweetness of justice. The pain of hurt has diminished with the honesty and admission of guilt from Mr. Hearn. We do not struggle with Mr. Hearn's plea guilt. He has spoke and testified to the truth and that has brought accountability to all parties involved. Through all of these emotions, I have come to a place of forgiveness for Mr. Hearn. Forgiving is not okaying the actions of Mr. Hearn. I will never forget, but I will heal through forgiveness and the justice that has been served to our brother. Jonathan Hearn placed his head down on the table and wept through Chris Wilson's statement. When he composed himself, he made his own statement. I am guilty of choices that have torn awful wounds in many hearts, rippling destructively through so many precious lives. I have fallen terribly short of the standards of Jesus who commands to serve each other, to be humble and to love one another. I have evoked God's name and yet behaved exactly opposite of his dictates. I have sinned. I am aware that for my crimes, anything short of death is really merciful. Jonathan pleaded no contest to voluntary manslaughter along with the other charges and was sentenced to 25 years and four months in prison. But for the Lamone family, now came the hard part. 
rebuilding their lives without Robert. In every murder case, there are surviving victims of homicide who brave into a future forever, impacted by their loss. In the tragic case of Robert Lamone, it will be his children needing the most support, missing the presence of both parents. It's a tragic loss no child should ever have to experience. Their innocence ripped away from them, discovering more about their parents' adult lives than any child should ever come to know. I'd like to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Jody F., Jocelyn, Robert P., and Kimberly G. And now I'd like to introduce you to the podcast, Excuse Me, That's Illegal. Oh, hey there. You like true crime stories, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Who doesn't? But I gotta admit, after a while, all those stories of murder and heartache, well, they tend to go straight to my hips. So that's why I, Leroy Luna... I've created a podcast called Excuse Me, That's Illegal, where we'll take a hardcore look at some softcore crimes. No TED Talks on Bundy here. The letters BTK won't be coming from these lips. Unless he had a brother that used to steal library books. Suppose I'd be willing to go balls deep into that one if that were the case. Anyways, you'll hear stories such as The Mad Pooper, a female jogger who wreaked havoc in a Colorado Springs neighborhood, using one family's front yard as her own personal dumping grounds. If this kind of content sounds like it's up your alley, excuse me, that's illegal. It's available right now on all your favorite podcatchers. So come join me. I'll be right here waiting for you. The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G-E. Someone's standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause